0: Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome back to PW Grocers Environmental Echo. I'm Paul Boyce, President and CEO of PW Grocer, and your host for today. And I want to welcome you to join us for our second part of our two-part series. Uh, so something we touched on a little bit earlier. You know, we talked about uh, Ron Kakama and the sewage treatment plant, mm-hmm. and sewage. Uh, um, this is a topic that comes up again, again and again in, in PW Grocer podcast. You know, because this is, you know, we're really we're Long Island focused for the most part, and you know, Suffolk County in particular large, large portions of it are unsuited, mm-hmm. Um, but as environmental engineers, you know, we design a variety of wastewater treatment systems, um, from residential to regional, regional applications. And I know you guys, you, you built up a pump station to allow Ron Konkma hub project to, to, to that, for that project to move forward. Um, how important is the availability of commercial wastewater
1: collection and treatment systems to developments like these? I think, um, developments don't happen without it. Um, we did a project recently, uh, for a third party client, um, in Port Jefferson station, uh, for Brightview assisted living. And they created uh, a treatment plant in the backyard because they had the, the property to do it. Um, but you know, you'll, I think you'll see, and you have seen the, revitalization efforts of the downtowns and the successful ones, every one of those downtowns has sewer. Um, and if you don't have sewer, you can't put the right kinds of density. Um, and, and that's incredibly important for downtown revitalization. But I think we learned that organizationally really early on um, because we have a medical office park medical and research, really, uh, office park off of Bellmead Road, mm-hmm. and one of our first tenants was doing research for uh, blood tests that could detect HIV. I think this was, so this was back in the 80s, and they needed to change their waste stream daily, and if you're not on sewer, <laughs> you're filing <laughs> a, a, a permit, work. And, yeah. and so if you're, you're trying to You know, invent something that's going to change the lives of millions of people, but the lack of, you know, sewer prevents you from actually doing that. And then it prevents us regionally from attracting companies who might be interested in providing, you know, that kind of service to the world. So Long Island, from an economic development side, suffers. You can't, you know, you can't create the density, you can't do the economic development. It's probably the number one most important aspect of um, development on Long Island. I couldn't agree with you more. (laughs) I mean,
0: you know our firm, we're very actively involved in this, as we said, from, you know, single family homes to to regional scale applications, and that includes, you know, not only building new plants, but collection, conveyance systems, pump stations, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I said, it, uh, Ronkonkoma Hub. I mean, how far do you guys have to pump that wastewater? Not Ron- well, Ronkonkoma. I keep saying yeah, the hub.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, it's, well, it was originally always known as, and, and that was what the RFP went on as Ronkonkoma Hub. We, we decided to change the name to Station Yards um, for a multitude of reasons. Uh, one, because it's, you know, it just sounds a little cooler, I think, but yeah. Uh, um, I think our pump station there. Somebody said it is the longest um, forced main in the country, but it's between seven and ten miles. I'm not entirely that sure. That is
0: incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's a great feat of engineering, and I'm, I'm you know a big undertaking for
1: you guys to do to get that that project up and running. There's a lot of people involved in that, in the county, and and every every. You know every street and road that it went through in different villages, and so there was a lot of there was a lot of hands that touched that. I believe
0: we got involved with some of the
1: geotech on that, if I'm not mistaken. Well, that's, <laughs> Punching I mean, some holes in the ground yeah. before they laid the pipe. Well, that's I mean, like I said, it was it was not a it was not a solely tri-tech no, effort. It was a you know the the county, the town. You got to you know, got to give them credit. Every yeah, everybody everybody pitched in, and and, and I think. Just like we said, it's it's the most important thing we can do. It is. And that's why you got all
0: that collaboration mm-hmm. and cooperation from not, you know, not just engineering firms and yourself, but th- those agencies, the county, right. the state, the, the towns that had to go through, mm-hmm. you know, not an easy thing to undertake. Um, but back to the re- revitalization, you know, with like a pre-existing site. And you, you touched on this a little bit, you know. What are some of the typical environmental hurdles you guys encounter? Is it asbestos? Is it lead paint? Do you get involved with any type of um, environmental cleanups? Let's just say it's like a a brownfield. It might've been an old spill there or something. Have you guys ever undertaken work
1: like that? Um, I wouldn't say I know all of those answers, but I would say that we have dealt with asbestos. We've dealt with lead paint. We've dealt with those kinds of things on site. Um, I know when we did Port Jefferson, the, there was the um I guess the plume that came out of um where the it the, was it North Northridge? Was that I forget I forget where the where the plume originated, but it comes down and so there was monitoring wells. Oh right, right, by. right. We were involved with that. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um but the but it didn't it didn't touch our property and There was so I think there's still some monitoring wells that are uh, on the neighboring property, but um, so I can't really answer to say like this is everything that you know. But uh, I do know that we you know we go through the process and follow all the you know letters and
0: absolutely have to. I mean, have you guys encountered a lot of lead paint in the past, or asbestos, or anything else that's you know? (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, like on on some of the properties where you have like I mentioned the the Lindenhurst project, you know, that was a 90-year-old industrial building and then it was divided up and it had all this weird stuff in it and uh so and then largely unused in a lot of it. So yeah, there was a lot of asbestos, you know, so you have to do all the remediation and and everything before you can even demolish the building. So there's a lot of that. I think there was there was also some in Bayshore again, go through the remediation process. Um,
0: that was the old college, uh, it was Toro college. Oh, and
1: then it was, uh, it was well, a, um, I think it was, a. I think they had like a social services building. So the a municipal building and, you know, kind of had a couple of different iterations. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of different iterations, Got it. not, uh, not overly pretty architecture, you know, so it wasn't I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that, uh, People should be happy with uh, with the way it came out. You know, we go back to that go tying back to the history. So the the, the Third Avenue side of that building mimics Stag the Coast Manor, which is a uh, you know, one of the manor houses that were um, that's still there in Bayshore. And then you have the the Mechanicsville and Fourth Avenue side. It ties back to what used to be on Main Street and Fourth Avenue, so you could see these architectural similarities, and they're all kind of designed into the project. And that oh, one wow. is a crazy project because it has all these different facades. Um, BHC architecture, uh, Sal Coco and his team. Uh, we worked it, with him at the shipyard. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Phenomenal group. Great guy, group. And great guy, yeah. they did, I think they did a great job of breaking down the scale of the building. So you kind of like, you have all these different facades. It feels uh, very segmented for a building that's, you know, it is a large building. I got to get so, over there and say
0: I, I I didn't realize it's going to start occupancy next month, uh, which is literally, you know, we're at the end of October. So we're weeks away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we fantastic.
1: just, uh, I just walked through it yesterday. It's a crazy, it's a crazy project. It's great. It has over 50,000 square feet of amenities. So you have, uh, and, and they're active amenities. So you have a, a pickleball court, a golf simulator. Uh, you have, um, a 1600 square foot pool. You have a hammock farm. You have all these like really cool things that you can do uh you have a bocce court it's indoor you have shuffleboard you have ping pong so it's really kind of a it's a it's a great place um i like the fact that that a lot of these amenities are active you know so if you live there if you have a studio if you have a one bedroom you want to go downstairs you want to you know move around a little bit yeah but then you have co-working spaces and you have um a library, you have, uh, small breakout rooms that you can rent. And that goes again to the people who are not commuting to work all the time. So, uh, it gives them a a place where they can get out of their apartment. They can work in one of these, you know, smaller reservable rooms. And, uh, it's sounds like a great space. (laughs) It is a great space. It's, it's, it's just crazy to see how the world is evolving amenities wise, dealing with the things that we've dealt with, you know, going through, COVID and, and oh, learning yeah. how people, people are living and, and, you know, it, it is, uh, it's a crazy transition, you know?
0: Well, speaking of crazy, I only have a couple more questions and I promise I'll cut you free in a moment, <laughs> but you know, as a development company, a real estate company, you know, how have you guys been impacted by like inflation, interest rates being up, um, supply chain issues since COVID? I mean,
1: are any the- of this affecting you guys? I think we've been affected by all of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um I think through through the COVID piece, um, you had a lot of the supply chain issues and making sure that you could secure the materials that you needed to build a project. And that was um you know, deciding between getting the deliverables at the highest possible price versus not being able to bring the project in on time. And that's something that we pride ourselves on is bringing projects uh, you in guys on time. Are great so, at it, yeah. So, um, so a lot of decisions got made along the way there, um, from a financing perspective. Now it's what projects are you going to bring online? Um, because there's getting a project financed, the, the kinds of projects we build, um, You have to attract the capital. And like in the case of Ronkonkoma, I think we've done probably about $450 million of investment in Ronkonkoma to this point right now. Wow. And $450 million can live anywhere it wants to. You know, it can go anywhere in the world. So it could go to Tokyo, Paris, Milan, whatever, whatever, you know, wherever, New York City. And then we had to convince... $450 million to come to Ronkonkoma. And same thing, $173 million to live in Bayshore. And so you have to make sure that you can create a project, you know, that your investors are okay with. Obviously inflation,
0: labor rates go up, things like that. Has that impacted you guys in, in terms of being able to, you know, have you had to make any decisions like, okay, well now we can't put in, you know, hardy
1: board a hardy plank we got to switch to vinyl or something no uh we haven't had to make those decisions right now because the projects that we have that long development cycle you know in some respects has helped has helped in that in that regard and um creating new projects though we're not going to sacrifice quality um there's certain benchmarks that we bring to a project and it's going to be a quality development. It's going to be delivered on time. Those kinds of things are things that are promises that we make to the municipalities, promises that we make to our own tenants uh, and promises we make to our partners. So if the financing rates and the material costs and, and all of that stuff don't line up, then we're not going to start that project right now. Have you,
0: instead of trading off on, say, quality, have you had to trade off on quantity? Then? Did you have to reduce the size of the project or the number of units or anything like that? Have you been impacted?
1: Well, I would say that the number of units, um, the more units you add to it, the better it is from a financial perspective for, because you could divide the costs. The economy of we, scale, yes. yes exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you the, the project we did together was about you know, $45 million, um, for 112 units, new village, which was only completed shortly before that 291 units at $112 million. So yeah, definitely, definitely better to have that density. Can't cut the density without the wastewater. All the stuff ties back in. (laughs) It's It's all a vicious circle, circle, Chris.
0: Oh, I love it. All right, let's we'll wrap it up. Uh, so what does the future hold for Long Island regarding new development? Can you tell us about any new opportunities you guys are pursuing and
1: what's what's on the horizon or, or is that, you know, still held to closely to the vest here? Um no, there's a couple of things that I mean, certainly the rest of Ronkonkoma. We're only about, you know, we've only developed about 20 of the 53 acres that are there. So, um we still have the right to build about uh 600, I guess. 650 units. Um, wow. in that 53 acres, we have, we can add another, um, 350 or so, uh, 350,000 square feet of office space, which again is another difficult task right now in the current market. Um, and then we have 70,000 square feet of retail that we're leasing. Now we have the right to build another 125,000 square feet of retail. So All of that stuff, you know, as financing sort of comes in line and and demand is where it is, then uh, we'll be able to bring those online. So our next project there will be 175 units and uh, only 1,350 square feet of retail on the opposite side of what we're building now. Um, And then we had an opportunity to answer an RFP in Smithtown, um, in a, that sort of is in accordance with their master plan. Um, the selection process is still ongoing. So we'd hope to be able to get, uh, to do that project in Smithtown or a project in Smithtown. It's a a wonderful place. You know, some of our, uh, executives are residents of the town. So it's, you know, it would be, it's always nice to work close to home. Um, although when you guys are working on the shipyard, Bob Coggins home, you could hit with a, like a, yeah. Uh, like he a five iron. A look, yeah. <laughs> he was, that was tight. Yeah. <laughs> and it made it, it made our, our superintendents and project managers, you know, a little nervous, I guess, you know, because <laughs> the we, boss think, is watching, huh? Well, we had uh 1200 piles. You know, to I go remember into, yeah. I was there. <laughs> so they knew what, you know, he knew every day, what time they got started while we were putting the piles. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you could hear a pounding all through the village. Like an alarm clock for him. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that would be another opportunity that uh, we'd love to get a chance to do. Um, and then we have some other things we're working on that we're kind of, we are keeping a little close that's, that's cool. That's some good stuff. That's Well, Chris, this has been fantastic. You, you've really
0: enlightened us, and I, I hopefully our listeners have enjoyed hearing this. And uh, I've got a better understanding of, you know, development on Long Island and often what it takes and why we need it. Um, and, and all the other aspects, such as wastewater, you know, and transit, and, and we go on. But uh, any closing thoughts or any ideas or co- uh, topics we didn't cover that you want to mention before we sign off?
1: Not so much. I just want to thank you guys for what you guys do. Um, you know, in wastewater is literally, I think, the most important thing. It's, you know, drinking water. It's development. It's, you know, economic development. It's mm-hmm. environmental every, it touches every aspect. So, um, so what you guys do and and the knowledge you bring in is phenomenal. And so I know sometimes discouraging, I know in the development business, you know, it's like, it's really difficult to get things done. Same thing for you guys. So, um, Keep it up. Well, do we, we appreciate <laughs> it. I know uh,
0: wastewater is not always a sexy topic, and uh, it's usually out of sight, out of mind, and right. nobody thinks about it until the toilet backs up, right? That's, yeah. that's That's when we, you know, besides the plumbers, that's when the engineers get the calls. Yeah. But, uh, again, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, uh, this has been very informative, and hopefully uh, you know, our, our listeners take something away from it. But I, I do want to wrap up by saying, again, this is PWGC's Environmental Echo, our monthly podcast. I'm Paul Boyce, the CEO and president of PWGC and your host. I do want to thank our listeners for taking the time uh, today or whatever day you're listening to this uh, for spending a few minutes with us. And that's it for today. Thanks, folks. Thank you for joining us on this episode of PWGC's Environmental Echo download and listen to this episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or by visiting our website, www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. For more content like this, be sure to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you never miss an episode.